we uh, looked yesterday at James 4. We want you to go back and pick it up again, and let's just review briefly. We've been talking about pride. We've been talking about how God uh, resists the proud. We looked at the judgments of pride in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and by seeing that, we realize that pride is a very terrible thing to come into the life of a Christian because God removes his power off the life of the proud person. So in James 4, 6, we saw that God gives more grace and he gives grace to those who are humble that God resists the proud. Now we want to go on and look at the divine order here. In verse 7 of James, we want to see the dynamics. Why is it? Uh, that pride will cause a downfall. Secondly, it said, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word submit is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's a military word. In the English, literally it's made up of the sub and mit. And sub means to rank under. And submit means to rank under uh, the authorities. And so we're to, to rank under God's authority. One of the greatest struggles that we have in wrestling is to yield ourselves to God's authority. We find in two areas of the Christian life, it's very important. One is in the area of sin. Well, we agree with God to what is sin. If we submit properly as God wants us to submit, then the Holy Spirit can work through us. If we resist, it will not and if we resist God in areas and are disobedient to what he says, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. When God says, this is wrong, and I struggle with it, I begin grieving the Holy Spirit. If I begin practicing that thing, then the Spirit of God is grieved. Another area of submission, it's very important in the Word of God, we'll pick it up a little bit later, but that's in the area of God's plan and purpose for my life. And if I'm not willing to submit to God's plan and purpose for my life, and I begin to resist that, then I begin to quench the operating of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so it's very important that we ask ourselves that question. I was just talking with a leader of an evangelistic group uh, just this uh, last week, and we had a meeting together, and we were talking, uh, they go across America holding revivals in churches all across from one coast to the other coast, excellent organization, and just asking them about revivals, asking about God's working. And they feel that people have complicated what it means to be holy. And I feel that they're right on. They have found the more legalistic a person is, the more susceptible they are to moral problems. I was really amazed at that statement, but then after a while, we realized that that is really a true statement. And that the the moral issue and the moral areas. A person who puts holiness on externals will get very frustrated because they are trying to achieve and they start becoming works oriented and somehow beginning in the spirit they want to continue in uh, the flesh to please God in the area of godliness. Now I believe very strongly, I'm a very conservative person and I believe that we need standards, personal standards, family standards, ministry standards. I believe we need all of that. And that's extremely essential for our, for our uh, spiritual health and well-being. But we also have to realize that godliness does not come by rules. Godliness comes by a relationship. 
And what we need to do is to be sure that the relationship is right with God. That's where the issue is, not keeping rules. If my relationship is right with God, then the Holy Spirit is able to reveal to me things in my life that are displeasing to Him, and then I'm able to lay them aside. We talked about that the last time. If you and I were to be around some of the godly men in the past, we would struggle. We would struggle because we would find that they were doing things in their life that we would not approve today and would never say, well, this man could not be godly because of this action. And yet these men were godly in spite of those actions. So be really careful. It's easy to be legalistic. It's easy to say, give me 10 rules. I won't chew gum and my hair won't be this long and I won't do this and I won't do that. Only wear blue ties and on and on. You give me my list and I'll feel comfortable with my list. But that doesn't mean a thing. And as they go and are dealing with people that have that kind of spiritual mentality, they are finding that those people are very acceptable because they get frustrated in the Christian life. They're very frustrated. They have goals. It's like a carrot they stick out in front of them, and they're trying to achieve this godliness. They are trying to achieve this godliness, and they fall short. Finally, they get frustrated, and in their frustration, they're opened up to all kinds of temptations and struggles. So be careful about that. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. God will reveal his plan and purpose for your life, and as he reveals it, my responsibility is to step out and to follow him. And then he said, from that position of submission, I can resist the devil, and he will flee from me. I have been studying this out, and I am not sure that this is a true statement. I am not sure it's a false statement. But let me share this statement with you. It's something I'm wrestling with. And as I'm studying through the New Testament again, I'm looking to see this. Are we, let me ask you this question. This is a question I want you to think about. It's legitimate. Are we ever tempted apart from the enemy? If you read in Scripture, does the Scripture ever indicate that we're tempted apart from the enemy? Now, we know that the flesh is involved. That's what the enemy tempts. And the reason I'm wondering about that, because in Scripture, I never see God telling us to, to resist temptation. He says, resist the tempter. There's a difference between temptation and the tempter. When I resist temptation, my focus is on the very thing that's tripping me up. When I fit, resist the tempter, I'm focusing on the one behind. And it's different. I'm focusing on a person, not on the thing. So you study it through. It's a... It's a an extremely important area, and, I, and I'm, I have not, I'm not saying this with just a light overview. I have spent a long time studying this through, and I'm still not sure. I've asked some godly men, and uh, they're thinking it through. So you think it through. But we do know that there are definite times that we are told in the Word of God to resist the devil. Now, if even if I was live in your presence... I would not ask you to raise your hand, but think of this. When was the last time that you, as a Christian, specifically resisted the devil? When did you do it specifically? Paul in Ephesians 6 said, We all wrestle the forces of darkness, including himself. And in that wrestling, there must be a resisting. When was the last time we specifically did this? Well, is this dispensationally not a part of today? 
I don't think you can write off the enemy today. As you read through the New Testament, read through the epistles, read through Paul's writing, he warns us about the working of the enemy. Then if we're not resisting, why not? And maybe that's the question we want to ask. Why is it we do not resist the enemy? Now, I don't believe that we should see the enemy behind everything. I like what Fred Dickinson says at Moody. He said, you know, some people will say, you see the enemy behind every bush. And he says, friend, can you discern the bushes? Can you tell a bush when you see them? Do you know what a bush looks like? You know, how, why is it that we probably, in our, our brand of Christianity, do very little of resisting Satan? There are Christians who have gone through their whole life that have never resisted at one time. Resist literally means shove away, push aside, not allowing stay or enter. You'll find that in Vines. You can look in the library here. You can find it in Vines. Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. So we are to shove away, consciously shove away the enemy. And as we shove him away, he will flee from us. Now the question is, why is it that you and I do not resist him? You and I cannot resist the enemy if we have not learned how to detect him. And why is it that we do not detect the presence of the enemy. I believe that James chapter 1 gives us a real insight in here in the this particular area. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is cried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. What is one of the signs from this passage that we love the Lord? The key is to endure temptations. Endure means to go clear through. Go all the way through the temptation victoriously and it means that we love him and as we are showing our love for him by enduring the temptation he said that the Lord will give us the crown of life then he goes on and he says be careful that no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither will God tempt any man tremendous truth there now, we've shared this before, but I want to share this with you again. It's extremely important you understand this. How can I tell the difference between a testing and a temptation? Two specific things. On the one hand, a temptation is designed by the enemy that if I follow through on that which is presented to me, I will be drawn away from God. A test, on the other hand, that is, it's designed by God that if I go through it as it is designed, it will draw me closer to God. So sometimes it's not the situation as easily to detect as if I do the very thing that's being presented to me, if I do that, will I find myself closer to God or away from God? And that's um, a real easy way of, of detecting. Abraham was tempted, pardon me, Abraham was tested by God whether or not he would offer Isaac. Now, if he failed that temptation, or the testing, boy, I'm getting my words all mixed up here. If he failed that testing, then he may be further away from God, but by going through that testing, God revealed aspects of his character that he would have never have known had he not gone through that in offering his son. Now, verse 14 is one of the key verses in temptation. James 1.14. Let no man say when he is tempted. Pardon me, 14. But every man is tempted. That's every person here is tempted. 
when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. What is the scripture saying? Every single individual is tempted in the very same way. You and I are tempted in our areas of weakness. I liked what someone said about this particular passage. He said the reason it's difficult for you and I to recognize the tempting of the enemy is that he only tempts us to do what we secretly want to do anyway. And because the temptations are built around my own weaknesses, I don't recognize often the enemy in its involvement. If you and I were tempted way outside of our weakness, we would see, oh, that is terrible. I resist that. But the enemy is much too subtle for that. He will tempt us in our weak areas so that then we are drawn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you uh, some illustrations of this very thing. Let's say that someone in the class is walking down the hallway and there they see a wallet laying and has a lot of money in it. And so we figure, well, it must be the Harwoods because they work for CEF, we're students, it has to be someone on staff. And you walk by and you look and you reach down and you grab the wallet and when you pick it up, immediately you struggle with this thought, keep the money. It just, it just comes on you. But you don't, you take it and you turn it in. But it, you were really tempted strongly to keep the money. Now the next day, another student walks down the hall and they see the same wallet laying there again with money sticking out of it. They reach down and pick up the wallet and they say, somebody must have lost the wallet. Which man was spiritual and which man was not spiritual? That has no mark of spirituality. All it was telling us that one man had a problem with temporal values, the other man did not. And so the enemy did not tempt him in that area because that was not one of his areas of weaknesses. Well, let's have the two fellows go for a walk. So the fellow that passed on the area of the wallet is walking down the highway and he's walking into town and along the road he sees a bag and in the bag are magazines. And he knows that the sack of magazines has the kind of magazines that he shouldn't look at. And when he reaches down and says, I better pick up these magazines, I want a child to get them. As he picks up the sack of magazines, he has an overwhelming urge to look at. The next day, the fellow who struggled with the money in the wallets walking up the road, and there is a bag of magazines, and he sees them, and he goes, uh-oh, we better pick these up. Kids walk up and down this road, they'll get these magazines, it can really mess up their lives. He picks them up, has no desire to look, it's not a temptation to him, and he throws them away. So you see that one fellow was struggling with lust or and maybe pornography, where the other fellow that was no problem in his life. So we can't measure spirituality on the basis of, of what area a person is tempted in, because it says we are all tempted in our weak areas. So the reason you and I do not resist the enemy is that he usually only asks us to do what we would secretly do anyway. We have that as a tremendous illustration in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property, and they had the right to sell it or a right to keep it. And they talked it over. They said, why don't we sell it and give the money to CEO? That's a good idea. They said, why don't we give all the money to CEO? We could use it overseas and just extend the ministry of, of CEO. And so they drove out here to give the money to CEF. But on the way out, they decided that they wouldn't give it all and that they would keep back part of it. Both of them said, well, that would be a good idea. It was too much money anyway. Let's keep back part of it. But we'll tell them we're giving it all. 
So on the way in, they meet Peter. And Peter says, hi, Ananias and Sapphira. I hear you're going to give a, uh, you sold your farm. You're going to give all the money to CEF, right? We want to give it to CEF. And we think it would be a real blessing to get the ministry overseas. And so uh, Peter looked at him and he says, Ananias and Sapphira, why did you decide to keep back part of the money and to lie? And I know this is what they would tell us. I don't know. Just thought it. It just came to me. I just had this thought that said, keep back part of the money. And I thought, boy, you know, that sounds like a good idea. But, you know, Peter was very discerning. And he said to Ananias and Sapphira, do you realize that Satan put that thought in your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? They didn't realize that because Peter had to tell them. He says, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? Because of this, you will die. What does that tell us about Ananias and Sapphira? It tells us that they had a problem in their temporal values. And the enemy tempted them to keep back part of the money, and they gave into that temptation. They did not resist the enemy, and it cost them uh, their life. So this is very important. Now let's go back to James 4. So we realize that temptations are drawn around our own weaknesses. So if you and I were, were uh, smart, then we would try to identify our weaknesses. Where, what areas if, am I personally vulnerable in? And you may find as you go through life, these vulnerable areas will change. Weak areas become strong areas, and then other areas become weak that we need to deal with. And so he tells us here in the Word of God that we are to submit and then resist. Now how do we resist? Let's turn to Luke chapter 4 and see the procedures given in the Word of God and how to specifically resist the enemy in Luke 4 or Matthew 4, either one of them, uh, give us the same um, actual word here. And it said in the Word of God, Jesus, after he was baptized and the Spirit of God came upon him, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days. Now that is uh, an interesting thing. Here he was led by the Holy Spirit into a place of temptation. And it says, being 40 days tempted of the devil, in those days he had, he had eaten nothing. And Satan came to him and said, if thou be, do this. If thou be, do that, and so on. And it's interesting that Jesus answered him, saying, it is written. Now what the Lord Jesus did is, as he began to quote scripture, as you study in the word of God, Jesus took the sayings of God, and he did not quote them word perfectly. He resisted, literally, with ramus. The Logos is the written word. A rhema is the principle of the written word. Ramas must agree with Logos. Logos is this. A rhema is the application of this to my life. And the application cannot and must not violate the Logos. But Jesus did not Logos the word. He didn't show the written word to the enemy. He spoke out the word, and he spoke the sayings of Scripture. You will find that Jesus did not quote the word perfect. He said, he raiment, which is interesting. In Ephesians chapter 6, 
We're told the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is not the Logos, it is Rhema. So we're told in Ephesians 6 to Rhema the Word in temptation, in our battle against the forces of darkness, and Jesus, Rhema the Word, is our example. Another thing we can learn here that's very important, that one verse will not do you. Here the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, resisted the enemy with a verse. Jesus came back again and tempted him again. He resisted with a second verse. He still came back and tempted him again. And Jesus resisted with a third verse, and then he left. It is interesting. It says at the beginning of Luke that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led to a place of testing and temptation. And then it said after it was all over with, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And so a time of testing and a time of temptation can be literally an empowering situation in our life if we go through it victoriously. We can come out on the other side of it, not discouraged and defeated, but we can come out knowing something of God's power that has been released through me as I stood and resisted the forces of darkness with specific scripture. So I would encourage you, let's go back to James now, I would encourage you very strongly that you would get along today and begin to identify what are the weak areas of my personal life and then find scriptures that speak out in that area. Then when you find yourself being tempted, there are three ways that you and I can be tempted. We can be tempted as we drive along. In fact, I have a, um, a card of a missionary in my wallet, I mean in my Bible here, that I carry with me. A little boy in there, just the other day, his father, a director of a mission, was telling me about his son and all the neat things that God's doing in this little kid's life. And the, as they travel around the United States in a motorhome, they do, they're homeschoolers. And so they're with their parents continually. And as they're driving up and down the freeways and into the cities, the major cities of America, one day this 11-year-old boy said to his father, Dad, why do so many billboards have to have ladies with hardening clothes on? Because he was beginning to be bothered and troubled. So I realized I'd be tempted by the world. You and I live in the world. We're not of the world. But the world here is all around us. And we may be driving down the road. And there, all of a sudden, before us, is a temptation. The world. Another area is the flesh, and then the other is the enemy. We have these enemies that we have to deal with. It is interesting that the whole world, the scripture says, lies in the wicked one, and the very thing the enemy tempts me is my flesh. And so in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. It's my flesh by which I am vulnerable to sin. It's interesting you think about it. Eve did not have an old nature, and yet she was vulnerable to sin because the enemy was able to tempt her in the flesh. And because of it, then the old nature began. So the, the flesh, in my flesh, uh, Paul talks about the works of the flesh. And you can study about the flesh in the scripture. And we're very susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. But he said, resist the enemy and he will go from us. So after the temptation, we have specific instructions in verse 8. He said, after the temptations, draw close to God. See, what did it say about the Lord Jesus? After the temptations, he went forth in power of the Spirit. After we're tempted, we're to draw nigh to God. 
something that is so vital for you to remember, and that is to be tempted is not a sin. Often we feel, well, we must be terrible people if we're tempted. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we yet without sin. He was not a terrible person. Jesus was tempted in his mind because the enemy spoke to his mind, and Jesus resisted uh, specifically uh, against the enemy with the word of God. And so after that, instead of walking away from God, and so often people feel so bad, they move away from the Lord. They think, oh, I must be a terrible person. I just don't even feel like having devotion. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like being around God. God said, don't do that. Afterwards, you draw close to me. And as you draw close to me, God said, I will draw close to you. And so as we move towards God, God will move towards us. Then he gives us two specific instructions. The first one is to cleanse your hands, you sinners. That has to do with defilement. I see that as, as uh, losing in our temptation. Here I was tempted. In that temptation, somewhere along, I got my hands dirty by uh, commission. And God says to me, cleanse your hands. How do I cleanse my hands? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord says, you come to me and I will cleanse you. And then he said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 1 tells about the double-minded man. He said, that means daisuki, double soul. A person who's double-minded will be unstable in all their doings. Do you want to be unstable? He said, they're like the wave of the sea, they're driven with the wind and tossed up and down but going nowhere just up and down and so he says cleanse your heart you double-minded what's a double-minded man it's one who says oh god i want to walk with you i want to be holy and yet i want my secret desires and so he's saying deal with it pray about those secret desires ask god to transform your heart a tremendous prayer that is a, a prayer that just thrills the heart of god I mentioned, uh, I believe, in the earlier time that we had about the young man from the major seminary in America who was grieved over the consequences of his sin, but not grieved over his sin. He said, do you realize what might happen to me? I will lose everything that is meaningful to me. And yet he was not grieved over sin. But here's a tremendous scripture verse. Uh, Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to search your heart. God, show me, reveal my heart to me, that I might see what kind of a heart I have. If you are in sin, if you are falling short of God's mark, and you're struggling, turn to Psalms 51 and read that as a prayer to God. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. So look at Psalm 51. Use that to God. It says, God desires not sacrifice, else have I given. Delightest thou not in bird offerings? The sacrifice that God wants of a man who has sinned is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, thou will not dis despise. And so God does not despise when we allow God to break our hearts with our sins. 
fact, that's what he wants to see. He wants to see brokenness over sin. So he tells us, be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will reach down and lift you up. Remember we talked, it started out with pride. Pride is, is the haughty spirit. I can do it. Don't worry about me. It's that self-centered living. And then we have ending up here with a humble man who humbles himself before God and says, God, without your empowering upon my life and ministry, I am not going to make it. I will not make the Christian life. I will not be empowered to live the Christian life. I wanted to share with you, um, I believe it was in Corinthians, I was uh, reading a, a passage of scripture here that was just excellent, if I can find it real quickly. Here's one right here. He says, let no man seek his own welfare. You know, God does God wants us to get our eyes off ourselves and on others. It's so important. And look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. This whole idea of, of getting our focus where it belongs. In Philippians chapter 2, there were some real struggles going on in that little uh, church. Paul was so grieved. And so he's writing them in chapter 2, trying to set things straight in their life. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul said, oh, that there would be oneness. Let nothing, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Now that's the mindset where they have. Esteem others better than themselves. I remember one time here in our institute that when the assignments were given, one of the institute students and the, uh, what are they called, the labor of love, one of the institute students said, I do not do this. I even hire this out at home. I will hire somebody to do labor of love. Now they wouldn't hire somebody to do everybody's labor of love. They would pay someone to do their labor of love. And we said that could not happen. And they said I would rather not be trained than I would leave. And they left because they refused to do a labor of love. That's a tragedy. That is not what is being taught here. In fact, I just last week um, met one of the wealthiest women in America. This woman is heir to a, she's a, 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 a million times multi-millionaire, thank you. Multimillionaire. This lady is a multimillionaire. The home that she calls home has 14 bedrooms plus everything else that's in this home. 
And when I saw her, I never would have known. She had on a cotton skirt that could have been from Kmart. She had a cotton blouse on that could have been from Kmart. And she was living in a trailer. And this person is in her early 30s. And she gives away a fortune of money. The Lord, the Lord's people, the Lord's work. So it's, it's, uh, it's really neat to meet somebody that has and has willingly laid it aside for ministry and God is blessing her ministry. She ministers to women and I've never heard her but those that were there say her ministry to women is absolutely outstanding all over this nation. Women are blessed by Nancy DeMoss. His father was the DeMoss of the Mouse Foundation who passed away at a very early, early age and has gone to be with the Lord. But Nancy DeMoss has learned how to have and how to have not. And it's really tremendous to see that young lady. In Philippians, also number two, he says, Look not every man on his own needs, but every man also on the needs of others. Do you know that it may be a while since you've lived in a situation like this? Dorm situation or in apartments that are so close one to another, you can hear it through the walls, and so on. You can live and say, it's tough. If they don't like my music at this level, if uh, I don't care if their kids can hear and it's keeping them awake, we want to hear this music. Or I want to stay up late. I want to laugh up and down the halls. I want to do what I want to do. If that's your attitude, I pity you, because you're not looking at the needs of others. God says that we are to become conscious of the needs of others and that they are to be conscious also of our needs. And it says, this is the mind that was in Christ, who did not hold on to his own needs, but was willing to set aside his own needs to meet my needs in Christ. So it's so important that you and I get a balance, that you and I have a balance between holding on putting myself first or setting it aside and putting it away. Let's look again at the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, a tremendous scripture verse. This is the call of God on your life and my life again. Let's look at that. Jesus said unto them all, If any will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will hold on to his life will lose it. But who will ever release his life for my sake shall save it. For what advantage is there to anyone if they would gain the whole world but in the process lose themselves or at the end of life realized that everything that they did was to be cast away. I trust that God will really speak and search your hearts. Are you holding on to areas of your life? Are you having life revolve around you? Or is Christ the center of your life? What does God want to do? God wants to take the events that will take place while you're here and use these events to move Christ to the center of your life and then allow Christ to develop his character in your life. 
And we know that all these things are happening to conform us to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, teach us to die. How hard it is to die. We know that thy word does say that you've called us to die to self and then to be alive to you. You said, if any man hates not his father and mother, or sister or brother, or his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, Father, we know that that word means to choose against. Lord, help us not to choose others over you. Lord, we know if we choose them, if we choose for them, we choose against you. Lord Jesus, show us, have we been choosing against you and not allowing you to have the central place in our lives? Father, may your Holy Spirit search our hearts and show us exactly where Jesus Christ is in relationship to our life, our walk, even while we're here, we pray we might become very sensitive to the place that you hold in our life while we're ministering and learning to be effective ministers here at CEM. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.